G'day, this is an abridged version of the episode that you can hear in full by signing up at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com slash subscribe. Enjoy the freebie. Happiness doesn't come to people who seek it too hard. People who try to find happiness too hard, who chase it, end up unfulfilled. This is an insight that I got from many people, but no one perhaps more succinctly than today's guest, Oliver Berkman. He's a writer for The Guardian. He's based in New York City, and his book is fantastic. I read it years ago. It's called The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. And it looks at, frankly, the upsides of negativity. And and he's very comfortable with uncertainty and failure and imperfection. His Guardian column is well worth checking out. It's called This Column Will Change Your Life. He writes about social psychology and and the culture of self-help and how to be more productive, and basically the science behind happiness. It's counterintuitive. Happiness is one of those things that, and I think I mentioned this in our, in our chat, that it sort of comes as a byproduct of being useful in other ways. And if you try to, if you try to cling on to it too hard, it's like, it's like squeezing a bar of soap. It just slips out of your hand. And I, I felt like a little bit of psychological happiness and psychological advice about the science of well-being might be useful. Uh, I will be talking with the great Oliver Berkman, which I hope you enjoy. This is We the People Live. Oliver Berkman, thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Let's just, uh, I just want to get a, a background for people who don't know you about what it is that you write about and how it came to be that that, that is your interest. What do you do? Um, I, I usually say I write about psychology, which is the, the closest I can get to, to narrowing it down. Um, I, I have a, a column in the guardian on a weekly basis which is broadly about psychology self-help uh sort of popular philosophy stuff like that and then i i wrote a book called the antidote happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking which is uh about the benefits of pessimism and negativity and uncertainty and all the rest of it um i i suppose uh i think one of the reasons i ended up with this kind of i start i'm, I'm a journalist and trained as a journalist but i guess one of the reasons i ended up with this um specialism is that it kind of isn't a specialism and uh it's a way of sort of pretending to specialize while remaining a generalist because like you know everything's psychology really yeah uh, yeah to say almost that you, everything yeah. to say that you write about psychology to, sounds to me like saying like the freakonomics guys write about economics it's sort of it, it you take the principles of a discipline and then apply them to the universalities of human experience Oh, well, I'm flattered by the comparison. And, and yes, absolutely. If I'm really pompous, it's occasionally at some, you know, drinks party or something with the with a certain kind of crowd, I might claim that I do ideas journalism, but I kind of find that um, phrase uh, yeah. offensively precious. I think if you precious, said that to me, so I, don't, I don't use it very often. <laughs> I, would either, I would either just sort of back away and find another person to talk to, or I'd throw my champagne in your face. So take that <laughs> okay, as Okay, well, idea. okay, great. Uh, <laughs> the most recent, uh, the, mo- the reason um, I wanted to talk to you more recently, and it's been a bit of a bit tricky uh, lining up a time with you in New York uh, with, with Infant and me in Sydney with Job, but there was a, a piece in The Nation which was uh, basically suggesting that the problem is not a lack, the problem politically is not actually a lack of empathy, that this narrative that, um, that the problem with liberals who are living in the bubble is that they're not doing a good enough job of understanding the plight of uh, disenfranchised, disaffected, regional, uh, struggling whites. 
mm-hmm. that that theirs is not the problem. The 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 subtitle of the of the article is progressives want education, healthcare, and housing for everyone, and we're the closed minded ones. And it was interesting to hear your response to that because on Twitter you said, "I wonder if my partial disagreements with this piece turn on the meaning of the word empathy." Be more indulgent of views you firmly consider bigoted. No, but try to get inside the perspectives of those who hold them. Essential. In that second sense, it makes no sense really to argue that it's the other side that should be more empathetic. I mean, of course they should, but so what? What are you getting at there? Well, this is a really interesting piece, and uh, Catholic who wrote it is a is a brilliant writer who I respect. I want to get that uh, that caveat. Uh, in at the beginning, but I think that it's it related to it's, it's an ongoing conversation, and I see it a lot. This idea that um, there's somehow been too much emphasis placed on trying to understand why people uh, voted uh, for Donald Trump uh, in the in the U.S. election, and I think you know sometimes it's just sort of these articles and and, and news reports are kind of done badly. Uh, and of course, nobody wants to read a, or, or listen to a, to a bad report uh, trying to get inside the heads of Trump supporters. But I don't think it has stopped uh, being any more essential. And I think what I meant about the meaning of the word empathy is just that, you know, yeah, it's, it's right. If, if, if by empathy, we mean that we, we want the best for, uh, ideally for everybody, including people who we disagree with and uh, are dissimilar from in all sorts of ways. Then yes, I think it clearly is progressive policies on healthcare and, uh, and and all sorts of other things that 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 have that value. They tend to be much more about uh, uh, ensuring provision for large numbers of 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 people. The right has its own arguments about why actually a more individualistic approach is ultimately better for everyone. But that's very something that's very plainly there in in liberal and left wing policy. But but I think if empathy means trying to understand somebody from inside their own heads, then it really doesn't make any sense to say, well, I'm empathetic and you guys aren't, because <laughs> um, that, that is a failure of, of empathy right there. I mean, I go from the assumption, um, because I'm a sort of uh, vague, vaguely secular Buddhisty type person on some level, I don't know, that that nobody is acting in a way in which they consciously consider to be bad, evil, and wrong. You know, nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to do things today and support policies that I think are the wrong policies. They, on some level, uh, think that they're right. And if I'm going to tell them that they're wrong, I've got to at least assume that they are sort of honestly mistaken in some sense, uh, mm. at worst, rather than... Um, rather than setting out to, to to do something that they consider is wrong. So there's going to be a logic, and it might be a sort of emotional logic that, to, to the other side's views, I mean. And, the, and that might be a kind of emotional logic that says, I can't afford to be uh, thinking about other people now because I am under so much threat. You know, it's not necessarily that uh, mm. every, everyone thinks they're being selfless and altruistic. But anyway. No, that's a really yes. good point. I yeah. think that, that's an important point in terms of the difference between a person thinking they're right and a person thinking that they're being altruistic or selfless. Because I think this is a trap that, that the left gets into, that liberals get, get into. If, if what you think is right are things that are soft and squishy, like free education and free healthcare and puppies for everybody, then somebody who's taking a hardline position that hurts other people's lives in the short term strikes you as just prima facie wrong. And you can't, you can't even make the imaginative empathic leap 
to, con- to conceive of how they think that's right. But if you really think about like the people who you've hated the, mo- the most politically, I'm not going to go to Hitler because that's such an easy example, but let's take someone like Dick Cheney, for example, who a lot of right. people on the left just don't understand. I was yeah. always of the opinion during the Bush years that there's a, a very clear moral internal logic for Cheney's support for torture and war and Guantanamo Bay, which is life is tough. There's no such thing as a free lunch. The world is a tricky place to be. We've managed to establish something quite extraordinary in these United States of America over the past few hundred years. And the forces of darkness and chaos threatened to take it all down. They smashed planes into our buildings. The world is, you know, it's not a friendly place. And you can go to gay little Geneva with your United Nations all you want. But at the end of the day, it's the, it's the force of American <laughs> firepower and balls that's going to that's gonna grind us through, through this with the grit that we've always shown towards everything else that we've tried to approach. So don't stab us in the back with all your namby-pamby Geneva conventions. Like, that, that isn't a nice vision of the world, but you can imagine it being a morally convincing vision of the world if you didn't agree with you. I think that's an important, maybe, source of empathy for the left. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's certainly a, a, a philosophy like that can be internally consistent, uh, and uh, we should grant where it is internally consistent. Where its premises come from is a is a is a different matter, and I think it's also a, a time. It's also an opportunity to try to be empathetic about the sort of the emotional logic that that, that gets those kind of arguments off the ground in the first place, and. Um, you know, this idea that I've become very sort of found very appealing in lots of the reading and some of the writing I've been doing recently that, you know, nobody acts crazy in the to themselves in the sense that, like, you know, they're always trying to, every, we're all just trying to make ourselves feel better on some level. And whether that is to do with uh, feeling more secure in the context of these kinds of ideas, you know, because we fear the the outside world that might that fear might be empirically justified or empirically unjustified but but wanting to not feel afraid is a is a sort of um prima facie is a is a legitimate thing mm. um it, it's uh you know i i mean i can still disagree as vehemently as i disagree with anything about about the course that the reasoning takes from that um from that baseline but no of uh, course but, you but get... the disagreement will will come from a disagreement over intellectual arguments not from a character assassination that the person must be evil to believe such things right and i mean i just want to say as well i kind of feel myself falling in and out of this uh, viewpoint that i'm supporting here uh, all the time you know i think it's incredibly important not to just uh, uh attack the other side as as bad but the the urge to do so on Twitter, most obviously, is one that I feel and succumb to um, all the time. And so you get into this very bizarre situation where, you know, um, I'm a sort of comment columnist, so I'm allowed to just abandon all pretense of neutrality on lots of these um, kind of uh, issues. But you, you look at things that I that I consider to be really bad news in the last um, months. You've got Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. Now, in both cases, I'm absolutely sure that these were victories for insularity and division and hunkering down in your own little group and not uh, reaching out to other people and a sort of tribalistic thing that is, you know, it can't be the future. That's what I think. But then 
I am dimly aware that once I start attacking Brexiteers in a certain vein on uh, on Twitter or something like that, I'm actually just reinforcing the ethos of divisiveness and separation, right? I mean, it's like it's it's very hard not to fall into that same sort of tribal logic that says I'm going to hunker down with my people um, against you people, even though what I'm criticizing in you people is precisely the tendency to hunker down with your people. So, you know, I mean, it's uh, we really have to take seriously, I think that, well, maybe you don't, I don't know, but that we're all <laughs> we're all prone, or lots of us are prone to this um, this thing. So, you know, I, I need to criticize myself as much as anything. Yeah, I'm also, I also find it useful to kind of inject a bit of epistemic humility into my mind and, and question how it is, how certain I actually can be that I know things as complicated as that I know whether or not something as complicated as Brexit is going to be good or bad in the long run, or even something as complicated as the election of Donald Trump. It reminds me a little bit of the old the parable about the Zen master, where, uh, yes. you know what I'm talking about here, the we will see story? Sh- sure, but tell it. Uh, <laughs> so there are various different incarnations of it, um, but I, the, the one that I, that I remember the, the most keenly is uh, there's a farmer who uh, who's... Who's, who just who finds some whose horse who horse some wild horses come, and he manages to find them. And his neighbor says, and this is in rural China or something. You know, the, the, his neighbor says, "Oh, that's that's fantastic! You've got new horses." And the, the Zen master says, "We'll see." Zen master slash farmer. I don't know why he's a Zen master farmer, but in my incarnation, he is. Uh, his sixteen year old son is uh, is trying to train the horses the next day and gets thrown off the horse and breaks his leg. And the neighbor says, "Oh, that's terrible!" And the farmer says, "We'll see." And then the uh, the army comes around and they're conscripting all young men over the age of 15, but they can't conscript his son to go and fight in a, in a doomed war, which is going to have enormous casualties because he's got a broken leg. So he has to stay at home. And the neighbor says, that's fantastic. Your son doesn't have to go to war. And the farmer says, we'll see. And on and on <laughs> this cycle, <laughs> this, this cycle goes and the story sort of just never ends. And I think in some ways that's, that's kind of helpful in helping me not to freak out totally about things that are going on in the world. Yes, I mean it's it's got to be it's, it's it's got to be right ultimately, hasn't it? That we that we can't really have any idea, especially as all these things that are happening are things that we were so certain were not going to happen in the first place. So yeah, and also when the people who are mo- who seem to be most certain about them seem to be the most incompetent in so many other ways. I mean, on both sides of politics, we shall have to see. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, come back in a hundred years and we'll uh, we'll we'll know for sure. Huh? Exactly. Getting back to this question of empathy, I was in Germany recently and a friend of mine was, and I was looking at these, at how kind of joyful and happy people were when they were out and about, at least seemingly superficially. And my German friend asked me what the difference is that I note between, between the culture there. Because I was saying it reminded me a little bit of Australia in comparison to the harshness of, of what I feel is uh, many American cities. And I said, I think there's just more empathy here, meaning in Germany. And he said, really? Because I, I think of America as being the land of hugs and touchy-feely and crying on Oprah's shoulder and emoting. Uh, and I think of Germans as being quite rigid and withdrawn. And I thought about that and then thought, maybe there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. That crying on everyone's shoulders and blubbering and talking about your feelings, and that that's a sort of a maybe a sympathy or a something saccharine and syrupy. And what I was actually referring to in Germany was an ability to be open to other people's perspectives on life and receptive 
non-judgmental and non-dogmatic. Thank you.